everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Tessa, and today on our panel we have Alex. Hello. I was like, did you forget how to say hello? And our I special... realized I was muted. Oh. <laughs> and our special guest for this episode is founder and CTO of Whimsor, not Whimsor, Rahat Chowdhury. Thank you. I enjoy being a special guest. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, my name is Rahat. I am a, by day, a software engineer at a health tech startup, and by any other time of day, a founder at a mental health startup called Whimsor. So, Whimsor is kind of like all about, at first, kind of getting you started with a little bit of, I guess, self-help therapy type of thing, utilizing what's called cognitive behavioral therapy and journaling to help you like combat negative thoughts and where we're trying to take it a little bit beyond there is like facilitating a better way for people to collaborate a little bit better with their therapists or psychologists or whoever they're seeing any mental health professionals that sort of thing awesome so cognitive behavioral therapy that's the idea that like instead of only our thoughts informing our behaviors we can change our behaviors to change our thoughts right right so with cognitive behavioral therapy, it's all about kind of battling, I guess, what are called cognitive distortions, which is just a fancy way of saying things that your mind tricks you into believing stuff that isn't true. There's like a whole, I think there's like 15 or so different distortions. Some examples are like jumping to conclusions or catastrophizing, things like that, which are both things I do a lot. But uh, Wimser kind of aims to help you figure out what distortions you're kind of facing through your journal entry. So we do stuff like having some natural language processing in the background that helps you categorize your thoughts into what could be potential cognitive distortions to help you, I guess, set yourself up to figure out how to combat those thoughts. Nice. Yeah, cognitive distortions kind of sounds like in some magical girl anime or something. Like, we got to <laughs> defeat all the cognitive distortions. But yeah, speaking of having these kinds of, I guess, exaggerated negative views of yourself, one topic that comes up a lot in the tech industry, or at least on tech Twitter, is imposter syndrome. So I'm curious what everybody's thoughts or experiences are with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm still pretty early in my career, kind of going into my third year now. And still definitely get imposter syndrome a lot, especially with trying to build a startup and even just like regular stuff at work. Like I've recently been put in charge of like kind of making like uh, forums and things on our site a little bit more accessible. And although I love being able to do that, I'm just like, oh, I have to do that. Where do I start? Well, what do I do? So I think it's just like a lot of those initial probably thoughts that kind of stop you from getting started as well as just like while you're doing it, like, am I doing this right? And kind of like second guessing yourself throughout the process. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely experienced imposter syndrome, kind of experience it pretty regularly still. There's a lot of times where I'm like, am I even, do I even really know what I'm doing, like, there are days where I'm just like, I don't know that I really belong here. I'm, I fooled you all. <laughs> yeah. 
Speaking of which, Alex, this has all been a big prank. Thanks for coming on the show. It was nice having you. No. <laughs> One six-month-long joke. Eight-month-long. I definitely am cognizant of the fact that sometimes I am overly like, oh, I can't do anything. Or like a lot of times I like to focus on the things that I need to improve on or work on rather than taking time to also recognize things that I've done well or like progress I've made. But on top of that, I feel like another aspect of the imposter syndrome conversation that doesn't come up as often is like just the amount of negative messaging that there is for a lot of people that have or think that they have imposter syndrome, especially in tech. So, yeah, I think like, I guess when you refer to like, I guess those negative things, is it the negative things like we kind of think about ourselves or I guess what other people are kind of saying about it? Yeah. What other people are saying, like, you know, I think some famous examples are like, if you don't code in your free time, you're not a real programmer, you're not passionate or like, you know, if you don't know these 30 frameworks, you're not a 10x developer or maybe even like, you know, women are genetically predispositions to not be able to code. Yeah. People of color's brains are like different sizes. Now we're getting to eugenics. That's like, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, you know, just, just kind of disparaging comments. Like you can't do anything. Yeah. I think definitely a lot of that heavily contributes to imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's like, there's a lot of gatekeepy bro-y kind of culture in tech that, I think even if you're like, even if you don't, I guess, subscribe to that way of thinking, it's just so like in your face and in there, like on tech Twitter or on that, you know, place called LinkedIn. And (laughs) it's like, yeah, you just kind of see it all the time. And even if you don't agree, like, even if it's just like there, like just like in your face, constantly being told that you, it probably definitely contributes to some of that imposter syndrome of like, I'm not good enough because X, Y, Z, because these people are constantly saying all these things that are always there on my timeline or my feed or wherever. And yeah, I think definitely trying to create a better atmosphere or better community around tech will definitely help out in fighting imposter syndrome a little bit because like, it's not just, I guess, us, you know, trying to fight our negative thoughts. It's also like, what's all the information being shoved at us from everyone at all times and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And also I imagine, although I hope not too many of our listeners have this experience that some people are also hearing this directly at work, whether it's from their coworkers or higher ups, sometimes even people below them. I think in Um, some cases it can be helpful ish. At least it was for me. Like I remember in a previous job, I made some errors. And so my manager at the time decided to go through and point out all the errors I made on the floor in front of everyone from that day. So I decided to look for something different where I was a little bit more appreciated. Okay. Yeah. I was like helpful in what way again? (laughs) Yeah. It was helpful in the sense that I needed a push to like go look for something else, I guess. Maybe just like understanding that the environment isn't where you want to be or isn't good for you and to go look for something else. Yeah. My first job, I was a junior developer 
brand new at an agency. And they were like, yeah, you're just not, you're like a, you know, you're like a two and we really need you at like a seven, right? Like that's where we really need you skill wise is like, you're a two and you need a seven. So here, we're going to double your salary. Wait, what? (laughs) What? Like super mixed signals I was getting from upper management at that job. And then they'd be like, yeah, you're just, you're too slow. So we're going to give you more work. I mean, if Ari were here, she would say that it's not unheard of for a white guy to be told, hey, not doing a great job. Here's more money and power. (laughs) I have have coasted by on my mediocrity for a very long time and it seems to do me well. So, (laughs) but yeah, I've been in situations where it's like, you're telling me that I don't know what I'm doing, but at the same time, you're not like backing that up very effectively. I think another frustrating situation might be if they're like, you do know what you're doing, advise us on this thing. And you're like, great, based on my experience, this is the best decision. Here's why. Here's all the ones you shouldn't do. Here's why. And then they're like, no, pick the other decision and tell us it's a good one. (laughs) So Rahat, you talk a lot about mental health, I feel like in the tech sphere. So what inspired you to create Whimsor and why do you talk about mental health so much? Yeah, I mean, Whimsor kind of, started from when I started taking a little bit better care of my own mental health, started going to therapy and just like treating my depression um, and a few other things. And one of the things that helped me a lot was cognitive behavioral therapy in general. And I initially was looking for like sort of an app I could use that, you know, kind of like let me do the whole process kind of on my own outside of therapy because therapy is very expensive. And what ended up happening was I, I found a couple that I liked. One that I really liked that was then no longer maintained and then I couldn't really use it anymore. And then, you know, being a dev, I was just like, you know what? It's time to make it. And so I started just kind of like building it for myself, not really intending to put it out there. And then... As I was building it, like I told a couple friends about it, a couple other people, and there was like, hey, this is useful. We'd love to use it too. So there was a little bit of interest there. And as I kind of went through and just started like really trying to dive into, I guess, like the CBT apps that exist right now, a lot of them kind of just stop at being a journaling app. You journal, um, it might help you. It's, you know, a lot of them don't actually help you figure out which cognitive distortion you're facing. It's just like, here's a whole list. Which one are you facing? And it's like kind of up to you to like guide yourself through that whole process. So if you're not overly familiar with it or haven't done it with like a professional, then you probably won't get the full benefits of it. So I started trying to tinker around with like a guided kind of CBT experience of like, what you should kind of like look out for. And that's when I decided like, okay, if we can use something like natural language processing or NLP, we can like parse through what people are saying and try to give them suggestions on what they might be facing rather than like a full gigantic list of things that could potentially be wrong. And just like trying to make it easier to go through the process. And from there, it ended up with... um, me wanting to go out and find people to work on this with because as one person, it was just almost impossible to build this gigantic thing that I wanted to build. So 
I found two other folks, David Aguilon and uh, Jason Scotto. They're my two co-founders. And the three of us got together. We started building things out. Jason and I are taking care of most of the development work while David is our CEO. And we just realized that this is something that could be really helpful for folks, especially like a real actual guided experience with this type of therapy. And from there, we just like started piling up more and more ideas on top of it. Like we're exploring ways, like I said before, to make it more of a collaboration type thing. Just a way to work with therapists a little bit better, collaborate them with them a little bit better because one of the other issues with going to therapy was like, okay, I do a 45-minute session once or twice a month because it's very expensive and I can't afford to do it every week, even if that much. So what do I do in between? And what do I... Like, how do I figure out what to focus on when I actually get into those discussions with my therapist? So the other aspect of Whimsor is like, as you're going through the CBT process kind of on your own, we don't want it to be like a replacement of actual professionals. We want to like give you like data points and things that you can share with your therapist so that you know where to like start off in a session or you have something that you can kind of like export some data and send it to them so that they can kind of like guide the session a little bit better to help you. So... That's like one of the big things that we kind of decided to do of like make sure that we're not doing like I guess what a lot of other health tech startups kind of start doing is like replacing therapy is more just like being a tool to like enhance therapy a little bit more. Yeah, I was going to say, not that I would expect any different from you, Rahat, but it's really refreshing to hear like a founder CTO not be like our app or like our AI is going to replace human beings with like <laughs> something better. Yeah, that was like one of the first things I said, like, we have to just make sure that message is clear from the beginning, that we're not doing that. Yeah, that's really nice. I like that. I may may or may not have just signed up for the mailing list, so. (laughs) (laughs) You've convinced me. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, like being on our podcast, we get to try it, right? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. No, Um, definitely. Live on air, I'm going to write about my... (laughs) I think, uh, I mean, well, I guess that's kind of off topic. I don't know. It was also making me think, wow, it would be really useful to have an app like that, but for like one-on-ones with your manager to be like, here's what you should focus on each week with your manager. Mm -hmm. Managers are not therapists, PSA. But (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, distilling focus, especially when you're just like thinking about your problems or like your day-to-day tasks and stuff can be hard to do. So an app like that sounds like it would be really helpful especially in conjunction with a licensed professional. Yeah. It's funny that you brought that up because we've also been like thinking about ways that this approach could probably be applied to like non-therapeutical scenarios. So something like that of like things you want to talk about with your manager or whatever is something we've been throwing around. What's good about I think having other people is that at least one of us can be like, okay, we're getting off topic Let's actually finish what we started to build and we can talk about the other things later. Scope creep is uh, <laughs> it's a big thing when you're working by yourself. So how did you go about like starting, I guess? Seems like such a big task. Yeah. When I was doing it on my own, I went on like Fiverr and stuff and I was like looking for someone to design it and just like figuring out sort of how I'd build it. I was like, 
talking to different people in different like Slack groups or Discord groups who've been, I guess, an engineer for a lot longer than I have, given that, you know, I've only been here for a couple of years. So that was the biggest thing of just like getting past that initial, like, can I even build this? Like that imposter syndrome part of things. Because I was actually told by one person, like, this is a really good idea. I don't think you should do it though. You should probably give this to someone else because you're not quite experienced enough to do this or build this. So for me, that actually fueled me to prove them wrong. But with a lot of people, that would probably be a really harsh thing to hear. So we're not friends anymore. But <laughs> I guess like for me, it was just like a whole spite-driven development thing, I guess. Like, you know what? No, you think I can't do it? I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to do it. And from there, I actually put up like a... um listing on angel list of like i'm looking for a ceo i cannot pay you because you're a ceo and we will be co-founders do you want to work together on this and what ended up happening is so david one of my co-founders he is actually a friend of mine from high school wow. and he saw the listing we hadn't spoken in a couple of years but he reached out we started talking Funny thing is like, so I used to be a somewhat not decent, not very good rapper, but... I was wondering um, if rap was going to come up in this episode. <laughs> he was also a... He was a much better rapper than I was. Uh, we had collaborated, performed together a few times. And now, you know, we had that kind of like, I guess, camaraderie in our past. So it like kind of naturally worked out where like we were able to, I guess, collaborate, work together, talk. And he, you know, I brought him on as like our CEO. He's got like a background in sales and customer facing type of stuff, which is what I don't want to do. So I'm just like, you know what, you can do all the things that I don't really want to do. And you're good at that. So this is perfect. And the other person, Jason, he, I actually mentored him when he was first like getting into tech um, himself. And I always felt like we worked pretty, uh, we worked pretty well together. The couple of the times that we like pair programmed, it was uh, like a good um, synergy that we had. So then I brought him on too. We have three other people who are non-co-founders helping out on the team, like one person on content, one person doing design and one person also a developer. The way I kind of like found them, it was helpful because like from the bootcamp that I graduated from, they have like multiple different types of bootcamps. So there's like a coding bootcamp, there was a data one, a design one. So I just went into like our alumni Slack. I was like, hey, does anyone want to work on this together? This is what I'm doing. And this is where I want to take this. If you're interested, let me know. And people were interested. So that's just, I guess, how the team was kind of brought together. And we had another member from the data bootcamp, but she unfortunately couldn't be with us any longer because she had a lot of other things going on. But she was a really good part of our team as well. And yeah, I mean, early on, people will come and go, but it was cool to just be able to see that a lot of people are interested in this. Nice. As a side note, 
I share a Slack workspace with your fellow from the bootcamp. And anytime I mention anything about you, like whenever you're like putting out a call for something for Windsor or something, I'm like, blah, 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 look at this. Or like Rahat is looking for a place to talk. He's always like, hey, I was that guy's fellow. I know him. One time I even put like, oh, you know, I think Rahat's fellow is in the Slack somewhere. I put it in a thread and he appeared and he was like, did you summon me? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, going back to your point, I feel like if you always wait for like the perfect time or when everything is in place, you'll never get started. But then on the other hand, it sounds like you've pulled in a lot of team members. So how do you distinguish whether there's something that you think you want to or you should do yourself versus like something that you'll delegate to someone else? I think, I guess specifically on the development side of things, being like, I guess I'm the, I guess the team lead of these devs. We've had a couple other devs kind of like come and go on the team too. I just tried to sort of emulate how it was, I saw things done at work, just like doing like grooming sessions, figuring out what we needed to get done, breaking them down into tickets, pointing them, things like that. And just like, okay, who wants to do which task? Once we like actually broke things down into like tasks, it was just like easy to have everyone like jump in and figure out, you know, what they want to do rather than what I was doing at first was just like sitting down, coding things out and going off whatever I had in my head and trying to just like translate that onto the screen. It became easier to like organize things. And then after we were actually organized, delegating those off to people. So how did you decide or like, what are things, specific things that you saw that you thought were really good that you wanted to emulate or like conversely things that you were like, I will definitely not do. Like, for example, I doubt you pulled your friend in and was like, this is a mistake that this guy made. Everybody point and laugh, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Some of the things that like I saw with like things like code reviews and things like that was people can come off very harsh in code reviews, even if they don't mean to. It's, you know, communicating with text is a very difficult thing to do. So one of the things that I tried to do from the beginning was like we would have kind of weekly sort of pairing sessions and things like that where we could actually just like talk and go over PRs like in like on Zoom or whatever. And that helped because like everyone was able to be on the same page. And if like there were like issues or things that need to be changed to the code, we could just like talk about it in a more casual way instead of just like no, change this and Slapa needs a change tag on it on GitHub or whatever, or requesting change or whatever, because I always find that really passive aggressive. But it helped just to like talk more, I guess, as a team. And like in code reviews or comments or whatever, I would just like reference things uh, we talk about in those meetings or whatever. So it brings a more human element to things that I didn't really see at work. So I definitely tried to intentionally change that a little bit. And like, although we're kind of at a point now where we're just trying to like build things really quickly and we're not being super good with code reviews and just kind of like merging things in, I'm hoping we bring that back a little bit. We do still have those weekly kind of catch-ups. So yeah, hopefully they feel, I should ask them if they feel like that's helpful. 
I just had a flashback to a coworker that at channel at like 4am on a Saturday being like, don't merge directly to master because I'm working on something. And I was like, who does this? And he was like, well, maybe somebody was coding at 4am on a Saturday. And I was like, yeah, you, you, you weirdo. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like, you know, bringing a human element into things isn't something that you often hear a CTO say. And similarly, like, bringing in early career developers at the beginning of a startup is pretty unusual. What drove those decisions? Yeah, I'd actually seen like, I don't remember what the name of the article was, but I read this article about like how having a group of like several senior developers is probably not the way to go about going like quickly getting through things because everybody has an opinion, wants to do things certain ways based on their own experiences or whatever. And having like a mix of like someone more senior or someone more junior will help you kind of like move quickly because you have someone who kind of like is in charge of making whatever those, I guess, architectural decisions should be. And then you have folks who are like eager to learn and trying to like gain experience who well, I kind of absorb that and do the work basically. So I think that's one of the advantages of like having probably more junior uh, developers on your team is like they're trying to learn, they're trying to dive into things and contribute quickly to gain that experience. So you have a little bit less of that initial friction of like, but I think we should do it this way. I think we should do it that way. And, you know, they're going to, as they, you know, contribute and like see how things are working they're going to get that experience anyway they're gonna start getting the ideas of like hey this didn't really work out for me maybe we should do it this way and i think as you get i think those perspectives coming from someone more junior are more helpful than someone who's more senior because this more senior person might just be like oh this is what happened in some other situation this is why we should not do this thing whereas the junior person will be like this is what i did based on what you told me to do but I think we should do it this way because of X, Y, and Z, because they actually just experienced it and can probably explain it a little bit better than the senior person who may have seen this happen X amount of time ago. So that's why I feel like juniors are a really good asset to have on the team. That and when you don't have money, it's very hard to get senior developers to do anything for you. So. <laughs> We're trying to figure out the best way to sort of where we're gearing up to like talk to potential investors and actually get more senior folks on the team because I think I'm the most senior person on the team. So I'm making a lot of those decisions, but we're trying to get some money so we can get more folks who can actually come in and help me with that side of things. Yeah, I'll be curious to hear how you end up evaluating like the people that you're interviewing because like even though everybody has different experiences, right? There's at least some level of shared experience with a more junior developer, but like, how do you evaluate somebody to be senior, right? Um, I've had a couple of ideas around that. Like I've been trying to look at, I guess, team leads I've already had and people I've already worked with and seeing the kind of ways that they work. I try to emulate some of them uh, if I can, or if not, I'll try to find some of those qualities. People like I used to work at American Express and one of my team leads at that time was David Ash. And 
he was an awesome team lead because he had like actually had like weekly you know catch ups and meetings and was just like left that kind of door open for I guess growth and stuff there. So I would definitely look for a quality like that in someone um, if I were to eventually get to the point where I can hire someone more senior of like having that ability to mentor more junior folks or just like being open to like leaving the door open for people to come to them and ask them questions. So I think I got lucky in the fact that I had someone like him as a team lead because a lot of people probably don't have people like that as team leads. So they might not necessarily know the best thing to look for when hiring. So yeah, we definitely need more, more David Ashes in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess another question that I have, since you brought up doing things for money, like how are you navigating the ethics of the salary situation? Yeah. For our initial co-founders, the three of us, like we're all kind of putting our own money into it. So none of us are expecting any salary since um, we're the co-founders and just like building things up. When we do need to figure out something to like pay people to do stuff where we like sit down, kind of like budget out and figure out like what it would cost. We've contributed towards like a little account that the three of us put some money in to like be able to like pay some people maybe for like some one-off things. We're definitely not at the point where we can bring someone on like full-time and have them actually like work for us as an employee. So the other three people who work with us right now, so one of them, the content person, he's like one of my co-founder David's friends. They kind of just like have an agreement where he, you know, is going to be using a lot of this for like his own career building and trying to get into like content writing and things like that. So they have like that history where that's like cool between the two of them. And when I went into, I guess, like that alumni Slack group and like was talking to folks, I was just like, hey, look, this is kind of just a project. It could eventually be a company. We don't know. We don't make any money. We're not charging anyone for this. We're not doing anything yet. We're hoping to start charging people at some point in the future. And if you're okay with that and you want to help us here and there, that would be cool. We have like NDAs and like a level of agreement. Like if it gets like a certain point, you know, we'll figure out a way to pay you. So if it's not like one of those one-off things that we need done, a couple of them are pretty invested in just like helping us get this off the ground. So it's kind of like, if they believe in the project and want to help us, we are happy to have them help us, but we're not like going out and specifically trying to get people to work with us for free, I guess. It's hard to navigate, I think, at this point, especially in the beginning yeah. when we're broke. Well, at least you're not like a billionaire founder offering people exposure, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of navigating new experiences, my understanding is you're primarily a web developer. So how are you going about building a mobile app? Yeah, it was interesting. At first, we were... So all of us on the team are primarily web developers, JavaScript, React, that sort of thing. We were using React Native at first to build the app because we wanted to just make sure that we were cross-platform kind of from the start and things like that. 
And it worked out at first. A lot of our skills were kind of transferable because it was like within the React ecosystem, I guess. Eventually, we found another solution, though. There's a company called Ionic. Um, oh, yeah. And they make a, they have this open source kind of tool called Capacitor JS that builds like a regular like web project into a mobile app by putting it um, into, I think it's called like a web view. So it's like your mobile app is just like serving that web view. So like you can just write regular, you know, in our case, React code. Or um, if you wanted to use Vue, you can use Vue or whatever you, you know, eventually use. And that helped us speed things up tremendously because now we could just do what we already knew and use the tools that we were already familiar with and everything. So I am so grateful that that exists because <laughs> if it didn't, we'd still be in React Native land, I guess. But yeah, both solutions are great, just specifically for our team because we were just more of web developers, React developers. Um, Capacitor.js just kind of really helped us out. So I'm guessing React Native is pretty different to writing just React. There's definitely a lot of similarities. For me, it was like just not being able to write, I guess, normal JSX or HTML within everything and having to like learn a bunch of, like instead of using a paragraph, using this text component or something like that. And it was just like, a lot of, I guess, I don't know, context switching or something. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Of like, just in my mind, trying to map, okay, a paragraph is text in React Native or a heading is something else or well, like whatever it is. Like, And that was a little bit difficult, at least for me. But like once we got back into like just being able to use regular HTML, I was just at home again. So that was great. So you're getting ready to to find funding like how do you make an effective pitch and get buy-in for your product we're still figuring that out david's kind of like the lead for that side of things we've been speaking to like we're bringing on an advisor from lsu he's like a third year phd candidate in psychology and we're speaking with like a couple of doctors who are interested in potentially investing so we're hoping to at the very least, start practicing with like, I guess, maybe angel investors or things like that to figure out how we want to pitch. The main thing that we're trying to focus on over these next couple of weeks is just like launching a beta where we've got an MVP mostly done. And it's just like, we're at the point where we just need to launch it, get the app stores to give us all the harsh feedback that we need to change to make them happy with our product and get it, you know, into people's hands. So what we're hoping to do is like after we launch, we're able to get some users and then post beta start, I guess, charging people for it and seeing what we can do on that end. We're trying to figure out like our main goal is like, okay, let's get a whole bunch of customers, hopefully, and then use that to, you know, tell investors like, look, we have a lot of traction, we have a lot of interest and things like that. Like the pitching and things like that right now is really just like not the biggest priority because two out of three of us are people of color and 
we realized that like two guys from the Bronx may not always be appealing to a lot of VCs who have never, you know, founded anything before or anything like that. So we're trying to figure out first how to like get traction and get people to actually use our product first before really focusing on that. So it sounds like your monetization plan is primarily like a subscription model rather than like using people's mental health data. On that end of things with like the data side, we want to, we're trying to figure out a way to like let users monetize their own data rather than us monetizing it. Like research companies and medical companies all like need this type of data to like do whatever it is they do. So one of the other things as that we're considering as we like try to scale out is actually letting users own their own data and license it out to people from those type of companies that we might facilitate that thing with. So it, like it's not us directly selling people data. It's like the users saying, okay, I want to, you know, maybe make a little bit of money off of this and going through with that route. So uh where does the name Whimsor come from? So that it's not as I guess it doesn't have that cool of a story. It was I was just trying to like think of different names. I think initially I wanted to call it Whimsy because like something like with a Y at the end was like what every other app kind of does. So that was my initial thought with it. Like it was it's like it's all about like whimsical thoughts and challenging those thoughts and things like that. And that didn't work out. And then I was looking through my notes and like whimsical thoughts and like we wanted to figure out how to keep those private. So like you kind of like work on it on your own and only share like what you want with a therapist or a clinician or whoever. So from there it was like, you know, you're kind of whispering these things to whoever you want to be included in that conversation. So we combine those words into Whimsor. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, speaking of what other apps do, that makes me wonder why Fiverr went with like two R's instead of taking out the E. Mm. All right. And with that, Rahat, where can people find you on the internet? Mainly active on Twitter at Rahat Codes is my handle. I've also been recently on uh, Polywork a little bit. So I have a profile there. You can probably reach out to me there too. I guess I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not very active there. <laughs> and yeah, if you want to follow like the other stuff that I do with like Whimsor and stuff, the Twitter handle for that is uh, Whimsor IO. So just like at IO at the end of Whimsor. Yeah. Cool. I just tried to add a comment to be like, put your polywork here. And instead I opened like a terminal through Google Docs. I didn't even know that was possible. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. Great. So it's now time to move on to this week's picks. How will I choose which panelist should go first? Ari should go first. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll tweet at her. But in the meantime, would you like to share your picks? Yeah, so my pick this week is a little crappy. No, get out. (laughs) Fired from the podcast. (laughs) We can cut that joke. (laughs) So this week we have received our litter robot. And um, besides the fact that the cats are mildly terrified of it, they do use it 
And uh, let me tell you, it is pretty fantastic. I have not even been paid to say this. This is legitimately, I am very pleased with it so far. So there you go. Unlike all the other things you said, which you've been paid to say. Yeah, I know. I've been paid for everything else. No, this, I, we have two cats and the litter boxes are an ever, are a struggle all the time here in this house. And so uh, this has been super helpful. So I highly, if you have the ability to buy one and you are debating whether or not to get one, do it. It's worth it. I also want to call out, I mean, I I saw this earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt the flow of the episode because like, maybe listeners won't hear that much of Alex's episode, but he's been doing a lot of talking with his face. And earlier he stretched and I saw like, there's a night owl t-shirt. What? Yeah, there's a nice, so Sarah Drasner made it. I will, I can add this to my picks as well. Sarah Drasner made a theme called Night Owl for VS Code. And yeah, it's a great theme. I really like it. I put it on everything. But Jason Langsdorf made a fundraiser for one of the empowering things. I don't remember which one. It was a while ago. And so you could like proceeds went to it. You could donate extra, but like he was selling t-shirts to supplement that. So I got a t-shirt and supporting a good cause. Yeah. I was going to say, I wanted to call you a nerd, but it was for a good cause. So it was a good, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Yes. I was doing it to support a good cause. That is my primary reason behind doing it. You were paid to say that. I was paid Uh, to say that. How about you were hot? Do you have any picks you'd like to share? I do. So I go to this virtual meetup that happens twice a week. It's called Virtual Coffee. And so shout out to them because they're awesome. But one of the things that I, this tool that I found out about during one of those conversations is called a focus mate. So what happens is I still haven't tried it myself, but it just looks amazing. So I just want to call it out. So it's like a virtual co-working room where you talk about a goal that you want to get done and with like whoever you're matched up with. And then you both kind of silently work on that goal for like, I think 50 minutes or an hour or whatever it is. And then at the end, kind of share what you've gotten done. And I think that's amazing, especially in like, I guess, working from home kind of life right now of just like, it's cool to have like a little bit of accountability for certain things. It's I've been looking for different tools for, to like boost my productivity a little bit. And I think like just like silently working with someone as weird as that sounded at first sounds pretty enjoyable, uh, all things considered. So I think it's just like that feeling of knowing that, you know, someone is like there working with you is pretty cool, I guess. Sounds nice. Yeah, I just tape an angry photo of Alex on my monitor, so I can't see anything. <laughs> like, your work done. I guess because this has been a thing. Can you also tell us about your headphones? We've been asking guests that lately. Or I have. These headphones are... What are these? These are Sennheisers. So I have another set of Sennheisers that are wireless that I use for everything else. And this one is wired, so it's just connected to my mic setup. But yeah, I liked a lot. It's comfy. I hate earbuds. I can't do them. So I like over-ear comfortable headphones, which Sennheiser makes a lot. And I did not get paid to say that. 
That's a relief. I thought you just came on here to show your headphones. <laughs> All right, I guess it's time for my picks. I guess since Ari's not here, that makes me the song pick person. So I've been listening to radio relatively frequently this last couple of weeks. And two songs that keep on coming on are A-OK by Ty Verdes and Deja Vu by Olivia Rodrigo. And I think they're both pretty, they're both pretty catchy and I'm ambivalent about the lyrics for both. It's like Deja Vu, like the melody, like really hooks you, but also the lyrics kind of have the feel of like, Lizzie McGuire, you are an outfit repeater. Because it's like, oh, you did these things with me and now you're doing it with your new girlfriend. Like, you're so unoriginal. And I'm like, I mean, going out for ice cream or something, it's pretty banal. Like, you're going to have to do it more than once, right? <laughs> and then A-OK, -okay, it's interesting because it's talking about, like, having a positive outlook on life and deciding how you want to feel. So, like, in some areas, it almost feels like it's getting kind of, like, veering on toxic positivity. But then in other areas, it talks about how, like, you go through a lot of shit, but then you just, like grin through it but like you know it sucks so it would be great if we have like a custom wrap to take us out this episode but anyway <laughs> <laughs> and on that positive note that's all for this week's episode if you aren't following us on twitter what are you doing head on over and follow us at gloomy loomy i mean at enjoy the viewcast be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and if you have time leave a review alex says it helps us a lot and finally, remember to tell at least one friend what you enjoyed about today's episode and let us know if you'll be trying out Windsor. Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. Bye.